You're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, episode 176. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Ange, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I'm an international award-winning business consultant and coach who has helped thousands of amazing women business owners to get all the pieces in place to have consistent four and five-figure months and then on to six and seven-plus-figure years without burning out in the process. Today, I'm super excited to bring on the podcast Dr. Rebecca Ray to chat all things boundaries. Let's be honest, boundaries can be hard to establish and maintain. Boundaries can scare some individuals. Boundaries can feel super, super fucking uncomfortable. But I'm here to tell you boundaries are a must, a must for you, a must for your business, and a must for the people in your life. If you struggle with boundaries, then please, 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 please do yourself a favor and keep listening to this important podcast episode that will help you grow from the inside out. Why? Why do you want to stick around? Because Dr. Rebecca Ray is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and thought leader dedicated to helping ambitious, big picture thinking women let go of unhelpful, unconscious scripts and become the editor of their own life. And today we're going to talk all things boundary. What are boundaries? What are some of the myths around boundaries? Where do boundaries come from? Why we need boundaries and what are the benefits that you will see when you establish them? We also understand how self-worth contributes to creating healthy boundaries, and Rebecca shares the most insightful one thing that you can start doing today that will help you to start making a, a huge difference around boundaries. But before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to remind you that if you are struggling or stuck with your business, you've got so many ideas going around in your head, but you don't know where to start. You have zero strategy and don't know what to work on now that is going to move your business forward. You could be lacking clarity. You could be lacking community or anything in between. I would strongly encourage you to head to my website and explore the variety of ways that I can support you and your business. Regardless if it's my one-on-one support, my Action Takers Mastermind, my 12-month accelerator program, Profit Pillars, my VIP days, etc. I'm here to help you get your business to where you want it to be. Head to AngelaHenderson.com.au and click on the work with me button. Now let's get into today's awesome episode. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me, Ange. I'm super, super excited to have you on the show today because let's be honest, boundaries are a must for business and life, but yet something so many amazing humans struggle with. And so I'm thrilled to have you today talking about all things boundaries. But before we get started, I always like to ask my guests a fun question or a statement so that my audience gets to know you a little bit prior to us jumping into all things boundaries. So my question to you to start off, Rebecca, is have you always been a dog lover? And the reason why I ask you this question is I've seen that you've just adopted two of the most beautiful Irish setters. I think that's what they're called. Jackie, who is nine and Jet, who's almost eight from the RSPCA. So that's why I'm curious to know, have you always had this love for dogs or has it just been recently? No, no, no. It's always, I was, um, I've grown up in a family that always had dogs. Um, and so it's just, I don't know. I just think it's a really special love. And my, I have a Weimarana, um, Henry, who's just turned 12, actually just a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
we lost a uh, staffy um Bella a couple of months ago to cancer. Mm-hmm. She was uh 13 this year and um these two bundles of gorgeousness um came up at the RSPCA and I was never planning on getting an additional two dogs, but they were a, bond, a bonded pair um, that couldn't be separated. And they've come from a very traumatic background. And mm-hmm. so you could say, I kind of feel like I've had another baby. I'm so in love with them. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that, I just feel like the there's so much meaning in making sure the rest of their life is the best of their lives. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've just had so much trauma in recent times. And um Oh, I, it's so difficult to put into words, much like when you have a baby and you you can't describe the process. Having them as part of our family, I just feel so lucky. Mm-hmm. And they are the sweetest little bundles. That picture you posted on your Instagram account, I was like, how could you not love their little faces? They were so sweet. And how is the other dog, sorry, Henry, how is Henry coping with the addition to the new two? He's he's very chilled out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if anything, he's he's actually adjusted like almost nothing has happened. Oh, perfect. Um, he's actually quite an aloof dog. So mm-hmm. he, he's very independent and doesn't really need much to be satisfied in life. Um, mm-hmm. We have had some issues with Jet, um, the male. He's very dominant and was de-sexed only just at the RSPCA. So he's, he's you know, kind of been intact for all, his, all yeah. of his life until now. And he's had some food aggression. So um, we've had a couple of instances that were pretty scary between um, Jet and Henry that was not of Henry's doing. So we have a dog trainer coming out on Wednesday because um, I firmly believe that uh, behavioural issues uh, with a dog are the owner's problem, not the dog's problem. And because of uh, Jet's history or because of both of their history, um, but Jet's male, so there's you know that dominance issue, um, we'll get on top of that. and. It's a case of, I mean, it, this is exactly the, what we're going to talk about with boundaries. Oh, it's so funny because I just had to say, it's like, it's funny you say that it's a boundary thing too, it's right? A, it's we're having yeah. to reestablish boundaries within the pack for dogs. Absolutely. Um, and again, it, it's vital for them to not only feel safe, which we're going to talk about shortly too, yeah. but also just to have that cohesiveness within the family unit, right? That's right. That's right. So what we're trying to do is create psychological safety with the mm-hmm. boundaries that the trainer will review with us. So. Mm-hmm. And this is what boundaries do. Boundaries create psychological safety for humans um, in their relationships. And that's what these dogs need between themselves mm-hmm. is not only to sort out who's the pack leader, which is me, but mm-hmm. between them as well in terms of who sits next, but mm-hmm. also to understand that they're safe now. They're, mm-hmm. they're at home. This is their, their home. So, yeah, it's a really interesting and beautiful process. Oh, 100%. I liked how you said that you can't put it into words. Like people try and prepare you, but it's like when you're going to have your first child. And listen, I've never, I mean, I grew up with a dog on my farm in Canada and then we didn't have dogs for years and years and years. Um, But I've had a lot of death in my life over the last five years. And one of the things after the fifth passing of a human, uh, a good friend of mine, I was like, you know what? I was like, if I was on my deathbed, one of the things I would regret was not having a dog because I kept saying, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too this. And I was like, again, COVID, one of the beautiful things that I look at, and I I do try and look for gratitude and and even the worst situations is COVID gave me that space to slow down. And COVID has given me that space to uh, integrate a dog into our world where probably if I would have continued to travel internationally for speaking events and things like that could have been harder. But having a dog is 
again, I never thought I'd be that person who would cry over a dog or, um, you know, whatever. But I mean, this blessing, and I've talked about this before around wealth and women and things like that. But this dog has cost me $26,000 in the last year in medical and obviously paying for her. Now, we've got 80% of that back from pet insurance. So I'm also very transparent. But you know, when we went to the hospital first and they said she had bacterial meningitis, like oh. I was beside myself. I was like, yeah. oh my goodness, we cannot lose her. You do everything you can. And luckily enough, we've, we made it through, but I get it, right? As you yeah. can't put it into words and it is something so precious. Uh, so yeah, super excited for you to welcome those new beautiful souls into your world. And thank, thank you for allowing the audience to get to know a little bit more about you as who you are as a human and not just as the clinical psychologist and amazing human who writes, you know, brilliant books. So we'll get into thank that. Also. So obviously my audience may not know a lot about you or some may know a little bit about you. So I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about who, you know, who you are, Rebecca, from your career and business point of view so that they can get to know a little bit about you from that aspect too. Sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist um, and an author and speaker. And I um, have, I guess, come at my career accidentally, um, not psychology. Psychology wasn't an accident. But I was in clinical practice for a long time and I got very burnt out, speaking of boundaries. Um, so I crossed my own boundaries by simply doing too much work. And I actually didn't realize it for quite some time, hence why the burnout was so bad. And um, I ended up having to finish my clinical career about 35 years prior to when I had planned. Uh So I I thought I would be in clinical practice until I was 70. And at 35, I closed the doors to my practice and was essentially left with having to reestablish my entire career. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Um, I just simply couldn't continue doing what I was doing uh, from a place of authenticity. So I took my clinical practice incredibly seriously, as you would find, you know, that 99% of psychologists do. Um, they care very much about their clients. And um, I got to a point where I didn't feel like clients were getting my full self. And at that point, I knew I needed to step away. And so I kind of got to a point where I thought, oh, my goodness, what do I do with my life? And I thought maybe I could try online um, putting my message out into the world to impact more people than I could on a one-on-one basis. And um, I knew absolutely nothing about selling online, like nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I did it completely incorrectly. I um did develop a social media presence, but I developed my course and then sold it without having a list, without having any kind of engaged audience, um, without having any consistent message and by hiding behind a brand. Mm -hmm. I was also super uh, anxious about putting myself out there because um, being a psychologist in Australia, there's all sorts of kind of limitations on us in terms of self-disclosure and being able to kind of be out there in the public sphere. And Mm -hmm. um, once I decided I wasn't going back to clinical practice at all, that kind of freed me up a little bit more because it's not like I was seeing clients in the office the next day. Um, and I decided to stop hiding behind that brand. And I got a little bit more savvy about selling online and I developed a couple of courses. And in the um, process of doing that, I got contacted by a publisher, um, would you believe, via DM on Instagram. <laughs> the power of social media it still exists yes I know and I thought I was being spammed and so because she had a really unusual name and she dm'd me and said would you be interested in writing a book and 
I had um, had a dream since I was a little girl of being a published author, but just didn't really do anything with it because I thought no one gets published. Like it's just too hard unless you're JK Rowling to mm. be able to get a publishing deal anyway. So she came to me and I was like, are you serious? Uh, and I said to my wife, I think I'm being spammed. Like how ridiculous. Someone's <laughs> asking me if I want to write a book. Anyway, long story short, it was real. And um, the my first book, Be Happy, um, not my title of choice, by the way, um, <laughs> <laughs> was born. And uh, then I was able to get an agent in Australia and develop my relationship with Pan McMillan, who have just published my fourth imprint book um, uh, called Setting Boundaries. And so... Now I sit here um, having a conversation with you, casually doing work on a daily basis that doesn't feel like work. So it's incredibly meaningful now to do what I do and essentially be able to use my capacity to translate what can sometimes be complex psychological concepts into language that the layperson can understand so that people can live as well as possible using what I know about psychology um, to their own benefit. I love it. I mean, there's lots of things that I love about that, but I particularly love that you were true to yourself. Uh, you you went back and you're like, listen, I've got to close up shop. I don't know what's going to happen. But you said it no longer felt like you were giving what you needed to your clients, right? And yeah. it no longer felt in alignment. And I would say that people that are listening right now, there will be some people who have businesses right there that right now that are no longer in alignment with them and particularly maybe they're no longer bringing joy to their world for whatever reason and that it's okay to pivot it's okay to stop and it's okay to explore and get curious about other things in our life that could be better but I think so often people are the fear starts to creep in right the fear of the unknown the fear of the what ifs etc Yeah, But it's a beautiful thing when you get to that place of surrender and you just go, I'm here. And, you know, and we'll talk about burnout a little bit more later on. But as an ex-mental health clinician myself, where I used to diagnose people with schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, etc., is it starts off with a little bit of stress, right? Then we get to burnout. And then typically we see a full-blown mental health diagnosis. And once we start compromising the way the brain works from a physiological perspective is it's it can be extremely hard for it to ever rebound to the way that it ever was in the first place right so I appreciate you sharing that because it's often something as women we don't want to fail right we don't want to put ourselves out there but the more I'm very much about allowing women again and no one needs permission but allowing them the opportunity to think about what their life could look like if this were to happen if I let go if I surrendered if I was my authentic self and one of my upcoming podcast episodes that I'm in the middle of like kind of brain dumping is having that lifestyle business versus chasing the million dollar business there's Mm. a big difference right you can still make a million dollars and still have a lifestyle business but what why is it that we're uh, this pressure of just chasing the million dollars, right? Seven figures, seven figures, seven figures. That might be what some people want, but what ha- is just about having, you know, a $250,000 business, a $100,000 business, which allows you to go to your kid's ballet, right? Yes. There's this onus that, again, social media, again, the bad part I think is 
by almost brainwashing people to believe that this is what you want. But that place of alignment, like what you did was you're like, no more, I'm surrendering, I'm pivoting. And now, like you said, you get to sit here casually, hanging out with your dogs, probably at some stage today, hanging out with the missus, (laughs) probably, right? And we just really, there's an essence of gratitude and happiness. So uh, thank you for sharing that part of it, because I think it's an important part. My pleasure. Boundaries. For the purposes of this particular podcast, I always like just so that we're all on the same page. Mm. Can you define what boundaries are? Sure. Um, Boundaries are essentially a dividing line. Um, If you want to think of it like a fence, if you need a visual for it, um, between something and something else. And when we're talking about humans, we're talking about between you and another person or between you and yourself, your values. I like to extend on this definition a little bit more to be able to explain to listeners that boundaries, as far as I see them, are circles of preservation and empowerment. Mm -hmm. So it's about seeing the lines that we draw around ourselves as incredibly powerful tools for being able to distribute our personal resources in a way that's consistent with our values so that we can look back on this one precious and wild life. Thank you very much, Mary Oliver, um, (laughs) and make sure that we lived in a way that was consistent with um, the one chance that we're getting. And so when I'm talking about personal resources, I'm talking about time, energy, um, love, attention, money, all those things that we have that are usually finite, um, we tend to, uh, when we are boundaryless, give give them away in an unfiltered or unconsidered way, which means that when you give everyone access to your personal resources without thinking it through, that means that other people are making the decision about how you live your life for Mm -hmm. you. When you retain that choice by having boundaries in your life, then you keep the decisions around how you live and how you give out those personal resources um, to remain empowered. For boundaries, now, I, and we're talking, maybe we can talk about this later, but when you think about boundaries, and that's us, for example, mm. and when we start to enforce those boundaries, obviously, because you know what? I'm going to hold this question. I think it will. It's going to come. It's going to come in another question I have. So I'll, I'll hold off on that one. Sure. Now, because I think it's, it's important because we can't control what others can do, but we get to control what we can do, right? And yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in a minute. But in your latest um, book release, the one that you've already mentioned, the Setting Boundaries one, in chapter one, you share a little bit about how boundaries are, and I quote, the kindest and the most helpful form of communication you can offer to another person, because ultimately you're go, you're going. Um, giving them direct uh, instructions about your needs and limits versus expecting others to read your mind. Mm -hmm. But then you go on to say uh, that boundaries don't always get good press. So I'd love for you to explore and explain with us a little bit more about what are some myths around boundaries um, that you've seen throughout your time. The main myths around boundaries, particularly for women, are that they're selfish and they're mean or unkind. Mm -hmm. And so this really prevents so many women from being able to use them for the powerful tool that they are Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be judged as selfish. They don't want to be judged as um, arrogant. They Mm -hmm. don't want to be judged as as being mean. And Mm -hmm. that means that they're missing out on being able to give these powerful instructions to other people because what boundaries do is 
they kind of act as a life guide for other people on how to love and respect you, mm-hmm. which means that's what I mean But as they're the kindest thing that you can ever give another person that you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. You're actually giving them direct instructions about how to respect you and you're also showing them by um, meeting your own boundaries how you respect you first. Um, oftentimes it's really hard to be able to enforce boundaries if you don't respect your own boundaries in the first instance. So the biggest myth is that they're cruel in some way. Um, And that means that usually women, the vast majority of my audience is women. And what they've told me, certainly in the research that I did for this book, I dived into my community and asked them the questions that they struggle most with Mm -hmm. um, in boundaries. And it was, how do I set boundaries but not come across as selfish and not upset other people. So the other myth is that boundaries are always about conflict and that or they always result in conflict. And that's just not true. Um, it's just that oftentimes people think of boundaries um, when it comes to the most difficult people in their life and that <laughs> it's, it's those people that are the very reason why we need boundaries in the first place. And so... Usually, if you say the word boundaries, what will show up for people is memories of times where they've tried to set a boundary and they've had a really uncomfortable reaction from someone else. And usually that's so much more about the other person than it is about this person, but uh, than it is about the boundary setter. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the boundary setter is often harmed emotionally by that experience. And so is a little gun shy from using boundaries. from then on in the future. Right, because of the negative experiences they've just yeah. had by trying to set it. So it, that just kind of confirms the myth that every time I set this boundary, something bad or conflictive, you know, is going to happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, boundaries, let's be honest, this shit, this doesn't appear, does it, no. right? Like it's been around for not only for, you know, for what we've seen probably growing up, but also just from a generational aspect, like, you know, our ancestors, etc. Like it's a learned behavior for a lot of the times. So in regards to boundaries, how, you know, how, where does it come from? How are people learning this? You know, where, because again, we don't, we're not born with it right off the bat, but clearly boundaries start to, we start to see it at a very young age. Can you explain a little bit more about where boundaries start and where they come from? Absolutely. The most common place we learn boundaries first is from our growing ups in childhood. Mm -hmm. So if your growing ups are good at modeling boundaries and they're good at respecting your boundaries as a child, Mm -hmm. um, then it can be much easier to land in adulthood as someone with boundaries from a place of empowerment. Mm -hmm. But um, certainly from my generation upwards, um, (laughs) oftentimes we were parented by parents who thought that that children should be um, should only speak when they're spoken to, um, should be uh, non-invasive in the environment and yep. should essentially sit back and be well-behaved at all times. And that means keeping your emotions in check. Thank you very much. So we weren't necessarily parented by a generation who get empowered us to have our own boundaries and speak up for ourselves, which is why so many women land in adulthood as people pleasers rather than as people who can be assertive and speak up for their own needs. And usually that's because in childhood, we were disciplined for having needs in the first place if those needs were perceived as inconvenient or somehow too much. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so it can be really hard to then, it's essentially an unlearning process. People pleasing as a habit is something that has to be unlearned and then setting boundaries is something that has to be relearned in adulthood for those people. We also learn boundaries from our culture and we learn boundaries from the formal settings in which we find ourselves. So that's school um, or first uh, preschool or kindy, mm-hmm. um, followed by school, followed by any kind of formal settings you might have been in, like team sport or um, church or anything that you did on a regular basis where there were rules, Boy Scouts, Girls, Girl Scouts, whatever it is. That all of those settings have boundaries in place um, and they differ depending on the setting and depending on the mentors that um, were coaching you at the time. That when we're talking about culture, we're also talking about things like you're in Brisbane, I'm on the Sunshine Coast. I grew up, I was born and raised on the Gold Coast. And so it was kind of nothing to get on a plane with thongs on, right? Um, <laughs> for, listeners, for listeners overseas, a thong in Australia is... Um, essentially just a pair of what you might call flip-flops or jandals, yeah, Um, not (laughs) G-strings. But um, although I'm sure that's happened on the Gold Coast too. So in a a very casual kind of environment, the dress standards might be um, a lot lower than they are in a different place, like a city, perhaps New York or Sydney or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there are things that are um, boundaries that we kind of, uh, become imprinted by in our mm-hmm. culture just by observing what happens um, around us. So our culture is very different to perhaps a culture in the Middle East, particularly mm-hmm. in terms of what we wear and what kind of acceptable behaviour. So as we're growing up, we essentially draw in um, the messages from our culture, from the media at large, and also especially from our growing ups and mentors about what boundaries are, how we're able to use them and what they mean about us. If -hmm. those things aren't taught to us in healthy ways, then in adulthood we can face some problems around using them well. And like you said, it, it goes back to so much of again, what we're lear- learning in home, but like you said, media, et cetera. And I know personally, boundaries were not something I witnessed growing up back home in Canada. Uh, a lot of my families were drug addicts, uh, problems of money, problems of gambling, like addiction was a huge thing, right? And so yeah. for me, in order to break that cycle for my own kids, it was extremely challenging at times with having to set boundaries within the family. I remember an incident when I was in my early 20s, my mom would always always put me down. And, and I saw my grandmother put my mother down. So again, obviously learned behavior. Yes. You would, you also, there's a little bit of guilt when I started to put my boundaries in. Well, she doesn't know any different. This is what she's learned from her mom and her grandma. But I was like, no, nah, man, this has to stop. This isn't okay. So I remember in my early twenties, my mom, when she put me down, she'd say I was overweight. Even when I wasn't, she would share information about say my boyfriend and I with her peers you know, and I'd ask her to stop and she didn't. And I remember crying to my dad. My parents were split at this time. And my dad finally said, kid, you either choose to let this go or not. But I, he said, I'll no longer listen to you cry because every day she was doing something that was 
overstepping a boundary, upsetting me. So my dad then created his own boundary going like, I can't keep listening to you that to, you know, you cry because I'm actually, you know, allowing you to continue this behavior to happen. So he laid his own boundary. And from there, I remember speaking to my mother and I said, you know, when I would go to her house, I said, if you do X, Y, and Z, I'm simply going to say I'm leaving. Or if I was on the phone with her and she would start into her banter, I would say, remember mom, X, Y, and Z. And I finished the phone call. Mm. Needless to say, it was super hard. I can't tell you how many times I would just simply picked up my purse, walked out of her house, got in my car and drove away. Like, cause I was also not going to start to engaging in that conflict. Right. Yes. I knew what the boundary was. And I just exited so many times. I'm like, mom, remember what I talked about? You've just, you know, we're, you know, you've reached this comp, you know, what I've asked you not to do. I'm going to hang up the call, call right now. And so it's no surprise that, um, you know, after doing this for many, many uh, years that we haven't had really much of a relationship at all over the last 20 years because I had to learn even at that young age 20 years ago is that my emotional needs it was okay for me to put myself first right yeah and even though I was super young and I didn't obviously use those words at that stage but I also knew that uh during this time I also became the black sheep of the family in many Mm -hmm. ways also because I wouldn't tolerate people speaking to me in a condescending way when I would deny drugs or alcohol I would get you know I mean looked at funny spoken down whatever but I knew that I didn't want these uh behaviors to continue in my world and that it was ultimately at that stage at the age of 20s I still had to take responsibility for my life right um and again I had to learn that it was okay to put me first so again really interesting when I was researching for this I was like oh yeah that memory came back up and I was like yeah boundaries hard uncomfortable but the emotional freedom I've gained from that not having that heaviness in my life every day is something that is so empowering oh I love that you end on that because um not that I'm encouraging you to end the story, but <laughs> I, I love that that's the point because so many times we only focus on boundaries are uncomfortable and they're really hard to do. And what happens if someone's not happy with me when I set a boundary? Like you said, you start being judged as the black sheep of the family because you're the only one that's speaking up for yourself. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, and this is what I want listeners, listeners to understand, is I promise you the psychological and practical effort of setting boundaries results in the most beautiful emotional freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no other way that you can get that freedom because no one can set boundaries for you unless you're a child and you have a parent doing it for you. So, and or actually I have been in situations where I have spoken out on behalf of other people and said, please don't speak like that to that person. But ultimately Mm. for you to be able to experience the psychological freedom that you're referring to, and you have to set the boundaries on behalf of yourself. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, particularly with people who are boundary less themselves Mm. and are profiting from you not having boundaries, you need to do it over and over again with them because they're not going to do it for you. So Mm. no one's The hard part is no one's coming. No one's going to go, look, here's the boundary for you unless you're a child. Like, for example, we set a boundary on um, Bennett's behalf. So Bennett is my three-and-a-half-year-old son um, with my wife, Nissa, and we have a boundary on his behalf that he doesn't need to touch, hug, or kiss anyone that he doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's um, the people closest to us, which is my parents and Nissa's parents, 
Um, if he doesn't feel like um, giving them a hug, then absolutely we back that up on his behalf. He's mm-hmm. going to age out of that boundary and be able to set that boundary for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you're an adult, it's up to you. It's up to you to be able to show other people how to respect you. And if you've grown up in an environment like you did, then you can find that actually boundaries are really confusing and overwhelming at first because um, people walked all over you and your boundaries when you're a child um, Mm -hmm. until you start setting them and see what's on the other side of them. And sometimes as you learned, one of the hard truths about this is that it does mean that even if someone is a blood relative, if they refuse to respect your boundaries in adulthood, sometimes it means that the relationship is distanced because Mm -hmm. that's the only way that you can have your boundaries intact. Attention, women in business. Get ready to ignite your success and elevate your game. Join me for an exclusive three-day women in business conference from October 31st to November 2nd at the breathtaking Gold Coast, Australia. Designed exclusively for online business owners, service-based business owners, coaches, consultants, and course creators. What to expect at this amazing three-day women in business conference? Expect an immersive experience filled with fun, empowering keynote speakers, interactive workshops, networking opportunities with other successful business owners, Gain valuable insights, forge meaningful connections, and leave inspired to take your business to new heights. Twelve speakers have already been announced, with five more speakers being announced shortly. We have Steph Taylor joining us, Anita Seek joining us, Lisa Cordiff joining us, and not to mention Manny from Sound Healing Australia, who will be there for the most magical sound healing experience ever. You do not want to miss the event of the year for women in business. To secure your ticket, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au today. Oh, 100%. And that was probably the biggest thing is because boundaries also come with an essence of grief, right? Because wherever there is loss, there is grief. And so, again, this was a loss of a mother, ultimately, right? And so I Mm. also not only was I setting the boundaries, but as my boundaries continued to become violated, even though I kept saying no, 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 and, and I was firm with that, is the reality of it is, is I knew I was I was already pushing back and I already knew that I'd entered the process of grief because you start going like, why would a mom do this to you? Why do I have to end this relationship? What does this mean for my kids and my future kids, my future self, my wedding, my whatever, right? Um, yes. But it was those things that again, um, I knew even though I wasn't doing mindset work at the age of 20 or things like that, that I knew it was on me and no one else was changing this. Yes. And deep down, I always said, even when I did my master's degree uh, in social work, one of the things that we had to do was like assess something that was going on in our family and how would you do therapy? And it was about transgenerational patterns. And, you know, is I knew deep down that if I ever had a daughter is that I would have to break that pattern because of yes. the lack of boundaries. Right. So I didn't mean subconsciously, I mean, unconsciously was already probably thinking that because yes. I've seen my mom. I don't talk to my mom. My mom doesn't talk to her mom. My mom doesn't you know, my grandmother didn't speak to her mother. Right. Mm. So I was like, no, you can't, this can't keep going on. Right. Mm. So anyways, yeah, no. So I won't talk too much more about me, but it is, it's very, like I said, there is an essence of sadness, but now it's, there's just a level of acceptance. Right. And we'll yeah. talk about, I know um, further on where there's kind of four things that you can do when you're, t- when you're looking at boundaries. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but for boundaries purposes, obviously I've talked about some of the benefits it's freeing, it's empowering, 
it's liberating. What are some of the other benefits you've seen when people start to establish their boundaries and or why we need those boundaries? Like what are those benefits that they can see? I just want to add something on the topic of grief before I answer that. Sure. And that's sometimes we grieve for previous versions of ourselves. Yes. So sometimes what we're also losing is um, this sense of all the time we spent getting walked over and Mm -hmm. we grieve for that. We grieve for our younger self and what we went through. And that's part of the process of growing, I think, and uh, shifting into our potential is Mm. to allow yourself to grieve how hard it's been and how much you've survived to then step into um, giving yourself permission to have boundaries. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of benefits of having boundaries, um, one of my favourite benefits of having boundaries is that everyone knows where they bloody stand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this is one of the really powerful things. Sometimes with people pleasers, you have no idea where you stand with them or whether they really want to do the thing you've asked them to do because they're just yes people and all you ever hear from them is yes. Mm -hmm. But people pleasers end up being in a state where they often have this simmering resentment that can result in passive aggression or explosions. (laughs) Yep. Um, various at various times. I know um, I had a client who threw a um, nail polish bottle at a kitchen cupboard above her husband's head. Um, And that was a perfect example of a passive aggression that then turned into aggression because of the simmering resentment. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have boundaries, one of the things that you get to enjoy is that your yes means yes and your no means no and everyone understands that and accepts it. Mm-hmm. They're not dancing around you thinking, oh, but do you really want to do that or are you just doing it to please me? Mm-hmm. Um, and also sometimes it can be disappointing. My um, my parents are very much yes means yes, no means no, and that means that sometimes when they say no, it's kind of annoying because I'm thinking, oh, can't you two get over yourself? Like, can't you just come over and do this thing? My dad's a classic. My dad's a retired carpenter uh-huh. and he does all sorts of things um, for his own enjoyment. And yet if I need him to do something around the house, it's like pulling teeth. And um, sometimes I think, oh, for God's sake, dad, like, can't you just come out? Because I know, know that he can do it. Mm-hmm. But if he says no, it's because he doesn't have the resources available. And sometimes that means that he just doesn't want to. And the mm-hmm. beauty of that is, sure, it may be annoying to me, but I know exactly where I stand. And I know when he's there, he wants to be there. And it's the same with my mum. It's a really easy way of communicating that I know if they say yes, I trust that it's a real yes. Mm-hmm. And I think this is my favourite Uh, foundation of boundaries and benefit of boundaries is that you take away all the mind reading from your relationships. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get into struggles in our relationships with others is when we expect other people to just be able to be mind readers for our needs. Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're just plain, clumsy, imperfect humans. And so when you help the people that love you and the people that interact with you on a daily basis to understand what it is that you need, you're giving them the freedom to know that when you respond with a yes or no, you mean it. Mm -hmm. 
And the reality of it is, is we all long for boundaries, even 50 years old, 60 Absolutely. years old, right? Yeah. That I know like my child, my oldest Finley at time of recording, he's 12. And there's a bit of boundaries starting to get pushed back and forth and things like that. But the thing is, is his little brain cognitively, like you talked about your three-year-old, right? As some boundaries are put in place and eventually he'll outgrow those boundaries, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's still those things as even now at 12, I'm, I'm saying to Finley, listen, these are just the rules. These are how it has to be. And eventually they're not going to have to be. But I need you to tell you this is where it begins and this is where it ends and this is why, right? They might not get it and it might be a bit of a fight or a bit of a battle. Not that I want that because they're just, they're um, utilizing their independence, right? And they're not getting it at the moment, not to mention hormones are going. But the reality of it is, is once he kind of gets over, okay, yep, I'm upset with mom's decision, he accepts it. And you can almost see this sense of relief, even though he doesn't tell me that like, okay, I I, I get it, right? Yes. There's no, no muddle, no confusion. Okay, yep, I have to be home at this time. And this, this is what happens if it doesn't or, or whatever it is, right? And again, I think we all long for that deep down, not all of our boundaries growing up, we didn't get all role modeled correctly, right? And so again, like you said, the easier life can be, because of these boundaries, the good things are going to happen. And, and that's another thing that I think is often as adults, I think we were almost getting taught that everything has to be hard. Like yeah. work has to be hard, business has to be hard, having kids is hard. But what if life could be easy? Yeah. What if we could help to add to that ease of life by having clear boundaries and it feels just fun again, right? Like it's like this, it's a yes or it's a no, right? That's so, right. Um, and it doesn't always have to be hard. So I think somewhere in society, we've lost that ability to just have a life with easiness and boundaries help to us to have that. I totally agree. And uh, for toddlers and for teenagers, part of their developmental strategy is to test boundaries. That's that's it's healthy. It's a it's hard for parents, but it's healthy behaviors for them. And what boundaries do is they give them a sense of psychological safety. I've got your back as your parent. It's my job to keep you safe, and this is how I do it with these boundaries. Um, then you know, it doesn't matter how much noise they make in response to the boundaries. It doesn't mean the boundary is invalid. It simply means that they're testing to find their voice, to find what it means to to cross mum and dad mm-hmm. um, or mum and mum as the case may be, or dad and dad. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think we lose sight of as adults though, is that other adults will try to cross our boundaries too. And just to be able to push to see how much flexibility is there, especially if they stand um, to benefit from those boundaries crumbling. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes um, it does take a little bit of practice to be able to reinforce your boundaries and to make it clear that that boundary is not shifting. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other thing to consider, and that's that boundaries do have different strengths. so, for example, I have really tight boundaries around my um, bedtime mm-hmm. only because I happen to be raised by a builder who got up at five o'clock every morning um, of my childhood and he went to bed at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock and my circadian rhythms are wired around that. 
Mm-hmm. And what that means is I'm just a horrible person if I don't get enough sleep. <laughs> yes. And so for everyone's safety, I really don't, I don't enjoy late nights and I don't have them very often unless I absolutely have to and that's something significant that's happening. That mm-hmm. boundary is not very flexible for me. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that I don't really care too much about. Like I don't particularly care um, around where we go for breakfast. I don't really care around what time the dogs are fed, you know, like Mm -hmm. um, there are a whole series of things that I don't have strong opinions about, but there are things that I don't shift from because it's my boundary that I know fits with my life non-negotiables. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things around boundaries that if listeners take anything away from this discussion is really important it's that everything you know about yourself, that kind of well of self-knowledge is um, used to your benefit when it comes to setting boundaries. The more you know about yourself, the more you can help others to be able to respond to you effectively. And so to carry on to that, how much does self-worth contribute to creating healthy boundaries? Um, Self-worth is the... (laughs) Well, essentially, boundaries are the language of self-worth as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. However, um, we've got a whole chapter of the, on this in the book, and I think listeners might be surprised <laughs> to know my particular stance on self-worth. Self-worth is the foundation of boundaries, and boundaries are the foundation of self-worth. However, 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 this is so incredibly important. As human beings, we are wired to want to belong to our clan. So if we think about 100,000 years ago when we're roaming roaming the savannah in clans, wanting to measure up with our tribe to make sure that we were doing the right thing, fitting in, as long as we did that meant that we had access to critical resources for survival. That Mm -hmm. means that we have access to protection, food, water, shelter, um, information that's essential, and also the chance to reproduce. So over time, 100,000 years later, a characteristic of a species that helps it to survive strengthens over time. It doesn't weaken. And so we are human beings using the same prehistoric software in our brains that constantly wants to belong. And that means that there are lots of times in our lives that we don't feel good enough or that we feel compelled to make sure that we measure up and that we fit in. And so that means that as far as I'm concerned, feeling unworthy is just simply an ongoing task of being human. Mm -hmm. I don't think we ever get to a point where we feel worthy 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I kind of un- let listeners understand that, the thing I want you to understand is that by having clear boundaries and by treating yourself with respect and respecting your own boundaries, um, and when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about internal boundaries, things mm-hmm. for how much movement you do in a day, what you eat, how much screen time you have, what bedtime you have, that kind of stuff. They're all Mm -hmm. internal boundaries. And the more you respect that, the more your self-worth grows. The more you set boundaries between yourself and some other person, the more your self-worth grows. Mm -hmm. However, I just want listeners to understand that 
it's not like you reach a place of permanent worthiness and yeah. then you stay in this kind of sense of nirvana. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have times where I don't feel worthy because mm-hmm. I'm human and you will too. So it's instead about thinking about how can I be empowered in my life to help this feeling of worthiness be more enduring. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because not none of us is ever 100% of anything right? No. But the more insight we have to our boundaries, our lack of boundaries, and how that contributes to an increase or decrease of self-worth will allow people to make choices or not make choices, right? Exactly. To assess, not to assess, reflect, not to reflect. So, all right, cool. So self-worth does directly have a direct correlation with the foundations that we need to create the healthy boundaries that That's we all right. are wanting. All right, fantastic. Now, for those listeners that are on the pod, like listening on the podcast today, just real quickly, how do they know if their boundaries are working or not working? Are there any, you know, any things that you're kind of like, oh, I go back to this Instagram where I don't know if you've seen it before. They're like red flag, red flag. It's like <laughs> this Instagram yeah. funny thing. So is there any kind of red flags or how would they know if it's if their boundaries are working or if they're not working? I want this to be super simple. I mean, I could list all these sorts of red flags and orange flags, but I want people to think about something super simple that they have access to immediately, and that's Mm -hmm. how you feel. Mm -hmm. So if you think about your feelings um, and reflect on how does it feel when someone crosses your boundaries, you're looking out for feelings like resentment, bitterness, feeling cynical, feeling irritated, feeling frustrated or feeling angry. If any of those feelings are showing up for you, it's very likely that a boundary has been crossed um, or that you've you've crossed your own boundaries as well. So we can experience the same frustration with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the quickest way I can get people to check in with whether or not their boundaries are working and by how it feels. So mm-hmm. sometimes... Um, not not sometimes, when people actually respect your boundaries and when you actually respect your boundaries, it feels in control. Mm-hmm. It feels like not that you're controlling someone else, but that you feel in control of yourself and empowered in your life to make choices that fit with your values. So if you've got this sense of your feet are solidly on the ground, it's very likely that your boundaries are working. Even if someone else doesn't like those boundaries, the fact that you've set them makes you feel stronger than the boundary is working. Mm-hmm. Um, if the boundary makes you feel, uh, sorry, if the feeling has you feeling kind of resentful or out of control or lost or confused, anxious, frustrated or angry, then it's very likely the boundary is not working. All right, I love that. Again, really being in tune, it's almost like, if you're triggered by a client, for example, or if you're triggered by a customer, or you're triggered by your partner or whatever, you can almost say like, hold on, what is this trigger? What is this feeling? Kind of go through it and go, oh, okay, a boundary. This is probably a boundary breach here that's happening. Okay, what do you have to do to reestablish the boundary? X, Y, and Z. So I love that again, that feeling, because I think people, and again, in the busy world we live in, can be out of tune with those feelings, right? Yes. And being able to sit for a minute and really go, okay, what is that feeling? Why do I have that feeling? And what can I do about it? Because again, with, we're either we want the gratification or we want to know now, right? So sitting in that can bring so many, um, so much knowledge and data to what's going on for the boundaries or lack of boundaries. I love that. And it can also strengthen your intuition. So 
Without going all woo-woo, I actually really think that our intuition is a powerful source of wisdom if we remember to use it. Your intuition can be incredibly valuable when it comes to working out who you need to set boundaries with and how strong and clear that boundary needs to be for that person to respect it. Um, I think about this when I think about clients that I've had or when I think about Uh, even customers that I've had purchasing courses, you know, it's amazing how um, sometimes people will think that purchasing from you means that they, they own you in some sense. (laughs) And you really need to, to make that boundary clear that you don't owe that person any extra than what the payment of the purchase was promised to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you get the course and the bonuses, you don't own me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet some customers will actually be very confused around that. And your intuition, uh, it's just, again, it's one of those things that's difficult to describe because I think it's a feeling. It's kind of an inner knowing, like a gut instinct. Mm-hmm. But for mine, I can sometimes know within seconds if an interaction is going to be problematic. And that means that the quicker I set boundaries around it, the quicker everyone knows where they stand. And if Mm -hmm. the person receiving the boundary doesn't like it, then they're very welcome to remove themselves from my space. Mm -hmm. And I do think intuition is something that, again, often we suppress right? Mm. It's like we push to the ground to push to the ground. But women in particular are quite intuitive. Again, you know, I'm starting to look into a lot more of the woo over the last kind of 12 months, right? And, and they say is we are naturally, we naturally have it within us, right? Yes. Um, but again, it's not something that we want to tap into potentially again, because that's that fear of the unknown. What does that mean? But you again, paying attention to your gut, and that physiological response that you get, like I can be on a, a discovery call with someone, and I can know pretty much and I think this also has to do my, my mental health training also a little bit I have to be honest right with years of when I'm working with the variety of people is that I, I just know whether or not we're going to be the right fit or the not fit right? yes it's um yeah. and also I remember a client of mine I had one time she's in the waiting room and she came to me she was there for a mental health uh, assessment and she said oh I've bought I brought you a whole bunch of gifts today Angela now mm. if I hadn't been taught early on by my own psychiatrist and mentors that I was mentor getting mentored by is I probably would have taken those gifts and been like rock on that's amazing yeah. right but yeah. in that instance it was a boundary and I was like thank you uh, I really appreciate your kindness however I'm not able to accept those yes. well then next you know all hell broke loose you're rude you're a dickhead you're this you're that I'm not getting an assessment done by someone who's ungrateful and it's like clearly we've got other things going on yes. right? but it was something that again I learned no thank you for that but if I didn't have those strong boundaries in place it could have been breached and that relationship could have been compromised my willingness to have been therapeutic or my ability to have been therapeutic and that could have been compromised right yes. in the beginning right so boundaries they're they're really they get tested everywhere I've done some exercises where when I came familiar with the stuff that was going on with my mother, just like how many boundaries do we get tested on every day? And if you take the chance to write down, it is a shit ton, right? Like, yes. but we're getting tested by our partners. We're getting tested by our friends, our family, ourselves, yeah. um, clients. Like it doesn't go. So the stronger you can build these foundational elements, the, the better your life will be. Again, that easy life that we're wanting. Absolutely. Now change, but change. Yeah. 
isn't easy, Rebecca. In fact, it can be one of the hardest things because as humans, we are we have ingrained behavior, years and years of this. But when those individuals who are willing to truly start to look at that internal and start to look at what's going on, change is a beautiful thing. I know in your book, you talk about four options you have when it comes to creating boundaries or when people reach it, right? You can accept it, you can leave it, you can do nothing and complain about it, or you can change it. Yes. But for those that want to change it, for example, I know you talk about, but it depends on which part of the stage of change individuals are at. Can you briefly, just briefly, because I know we'll wrap up here shortly, what are the stages of change? Like, what do they briefly look at? Just so people can understand, because until you can understand where you are in that, in that stages of change, it's going to be potentially really hard to understand my accepting it, leaving it, doing nothing or changing it. Sure. So the stages of change model is, I want you to think of it like a cycle. There are six stages and um, we go in and out of these stages throughout the um, change process and, and in the, I guess, on the road to sustained change. Uh, The perfect example I can give you here is that research around giving up smoking is that the average smoker will take seven tries to give up before they finally give up permanently. Mm -hmm. And so that means that we go in and out of wanting to change. So stage one of the stages of change model is pre-contemplation. That means where you don't even recognize you have a problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So other people might think that you've got a problem, but you don't recognize that there's a problem. The next stage is contemplation, which means you kind of, you you have some awareness that there's a problem there, but you're not ready to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. The next stage is preparation, where you realize that there's a problem, you want to do something about it, and you kind of go into a research phase mm-hmm. around learning what it is that you can do about it. The next stage is action, where you're actually putting into place new ways of being. Mm-hmm. Um, The next stage is where the change is actually um, present and accounted for. So the Mm -hmm. change is actually happening. And the final stage is relapse. So that's where you go back to old ways of doing things, which Mm -hmm. is kind of explained by neural pathways, because when um, habits are formed, they are supported by neural pathways in our brains that Mm -hmm. make us do that behavior over and over again. And those neural pathways never actually disappear. They, they can weaken and we can build new new ones and strengthen those new ones. But it means that, especially for something like boundaries, whenever we're feeling kind of stressed or we're feeling overwhelmed, we often lapse back to the old way of doing things, the automatic way of doing things, which is usually the for people struggling with boundaries, um, the old way that they used to be boundaryless. So yes. depending on where you are in that stages of change model, well, would depend on how likely you are to put something into place and to keep it there. But I do want listeners to understand that it's really normal to skip stages and to jump back stages over and over again until you actually start to do something in a consistent way. Exactly the same way that you might want to start an exercise routine now that it's spring um, (laughs) and perhaps you haven't done it for winter. So it feels hard to begin with. But then by the time autumn comes around in six months time, you're doing it automatically. You know, Mm -hmm. it just it it just required that behavior to be done um, a couple of times. Well, not actually. It's probably a lot more than a couple of times before it's actually rewired in, Mm -hmm. but it does help to understand that sometimes we're just not ready to to change and sometimes we're not even willing, especially Mm -hmm. for other people. So other people 
that you wish would change and perhaps respect your boundaries a little bit more, they may never be get to a point where they're willing, which means that you just always have to keep them at a distance. Yes, <laughs> keep the distance. It's a real thing here, people. It is a yeah. real thing. But again, learning to be okay with that and that it's okay. It doesn't mean you're any less of a person or a bad person. It just is that this is the situation and this is how it's best for me, my family, you know, et cetera. Absolutely. Now, speaking of boundaries and respecting your time, <laughs> all right, <laughs> respecting your time, we, we, I've got just two last questions to wrap up. There's one thing for those individuals other than running to buying your new book, setting the boundaries, because I need to be 100% transparent. What Rebecca and I've talked about today is really scratching the surface. We've done like a point tenth of what it really looks like for boundaries. And if really anything, the, the questions that I pulled from today were more around chapter one. And there are, I think, 12, 13 chapters. Sorry, off There's the top 12 of my chapters. Yes. 12, <laughs> I was right, 12 chapters. The reality <laughs> of it is, is like we're only chapter one in here, people. So other than them obviously running to being able to purchase your book, is there one little thing that you could give them to walk away with that would help them with their boundaries? Yes. Um, my favorite strategy that I actually use on a daily basis, would you believe, is to check in with my 80-year-old self. Mm-hmm. And so if you're unsure as to whether or not you should set a boundary or whether or not this situation kind of feels like aligned for you, I want you to stop and just give a moment to check in with what would your 80-year-old self say about this? Mm -hmm. Um, Because she, he or they has a lot more wisdom than we often tap into. And it allows you to come back to, hold on a second, I know that if I did this, my 80-year-old self would be proud of me. Mm And so I would encourage listeners to access that. I also use other versions of my future self. <laughs> like if I wake up and think, oh, my God, I can't be bothered walking the dog. Um, we have three dogs, but only one who doesn't have arthritis. So he gets <laughs> walked. And sometimes when I wake up and think, oh, I just can't be bothered. I think, hold on a second, my 7 a.m. self is going to be really pleased I did this. Mm-hmm. Or my tomorrow self is going to be really pleased I did this particular task today that I'm otherwise putting off. Mm-hmm. So it's really helpful with boundaries to just check in with that future version of you to show you the direct, the direction that you need to head even if it feels uncomfortable in the present moment. Gosh, what a great tool. And again, so many times people think I've got to spend thousands of dollars and this and that, but that tool within itself is invaluable. It doesn't cost anything. Again, it just, what it's costing is you just taking a moment to sit and reflect within your presence and about your future self, right? So what an amazing tool to have. Now, for those listeners who do want to connect with you and to hang out within your, in your world, my friend, what's the best way for them to connect or where can they purchase the book, et cetera? Um, you can find me at rebeccaray.com.au. I'm on all the socials as at Dr. Rebecca Ray, but full transparency. I mainly hang out on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. So I do keep my social time boundary. And yep. um, that's that's where um, I spend most of my time if I'm going to be on socials. Mm-hmm. You can buy Setting Boundaries everywhere in all good bookstores in Australia and New Zealand right now. Um, very shortly, it will be out in print um, in the UK. It will be out in print in the US in 2022. I'm sorry for the wait, America. Um, I have no control over that. But everywhere in the world, you can also get it in Kindle format and audio format right now as well. So if you can't wait for print in your territory and you, you're not in Australia or New Zealand, then you can grab it on audio and Kindle right now as well. Yeah, and I bought mine at Target. So again, it's not just like the big bookstores, quote unquote, like Target uh, had it. I don't know if Kmart has it or not, but like it's readily available. So yeah, yeah so you can't like... 
Target Big W and Kmart have it cheap. So get on it. So yeah, no, it was, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing book. And I'll ask you one last question, my friend, which I always like to ask my guests. What do you know now that you wish knew when you first started out in business? Oh, that's a great question. What I know now that I didn't realize when I first started out in business is who I don't serve is just as important as who I do serve. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So I used to try to be all things to all people and that's just really bloody exhausting and I don't recommend it. Um, And it will also not work. It's a complete waste of energy. And so now I'm ever more boundaried around who I'm not for. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely love it. Now, I cannot appreciate enough your willingness to come on today. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And before we sign off, my team and I will also be putting together the show notes for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Rebecca. I really, really appreciate your time, your energy, and your wisdom. And for you, amazing human who have been listening to this awesome podcast episode, I look forward to you joining me again next week for another amazing episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, www.angelahenderson.com.au.